Welcome to An Examined Education, a podcast recorded at the Cambridge School, a Christian classical school in San Diego, California, where we examine an education worth pursuing. On today's episode, you'll get our final installment of How Cambridge is Christian. Jeff and I sit down with Russ and Brent again, and we talk about some of the ways in which implicitly our Christian convictions come out in and around the classroom. This conversation was really great, and uh, it's an ongoing one. We're still figuring out all of the various complexities of the kind of four principles that we use to approach this question. We would love to hear from you uh, after this series, see what you liked, and whether or not you find this uh, a compelling approach to Christian education. We really enjoyed it. We do know that we're going a little over our promised time, but uh, we hope it's worth it. Without further ado, Jeff Yoder. Welcome back to An Examined Education, and uh, we're going to pick up where we left off from our last episode, where we were talking about how we are Christian. Uh, we were able to go through the curriculum, and uh, and that's probably the easiest way uh, to talk about how we're Christian. We thought we'd come back and talk with Russ Kapazinski and Brent Baber again uh, to talk about how... What, <clears throat> And uh, DJ Goodweiler is also with us today. I thought as a co-host, you're not really a guest. You're kind of like just furniture. Here. You're just part of the room. That's the nicest thing yeah. he's ever said. Do you think yeah. that, the, that the listener at home will see through the podcast magic of a drop date a week later and know that we've just been recording for just hours? hours. <laughs> uh, I'm sure okay. that they... That they that, Yes, that we are not reassembled, (laughs) but this is a continuation on how we are Christian, but more on the implicit, implicit ways. That's right. Yeah, so we left off last week talking a little bit about how the curriculum is the easy answer, um, and it's an important answer, and our curriculum is impressive. uh, But if that's all it was, then the student's experience and the teacher's experience would be pretty siloed. Um, And... I think one of the things that we think about rather intentionally here, and Gene has done so from the beginning, is that we wanted this to be this kind of robust experience um, where Christianity wasn't siloed in the classroom. Um, And at at least as I've thought about this, and I would love for you all to chime in on this and either uh, add to it or or complicate it a little bit, uh, maybe fill it in. Um, I've kind of thought through this Uh, through four different convictions. And I know that I mentioned this in the talk that I gave to the parents that that we've put up on literature, Um, but I'd love to hear, have you guys uh, speak to these things. But I think one of the, for me, the the first and most important thing um, is that Christian education is education that is done by Christians. Mm. Um, I think that uh, kind of from the ground up, right? In as much as we talk about liberal arts education, and our education being here being about character formation and how much modeling is tied into that. I think that having a Christian educator around the table at the front of the room is a, kind of a, a non-negotiable in a lot of ways for a Christian school. Uh, can you guys speak into uh, what that looks like? I mean, is that a conviction that you would uh, that you would kind of echo? Um, have you seen the way that that works out? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, because I think about just a a major component of being a teacher is how you relate to your students. And all of us are in process, but a a, a Christian educator is going to to come into the classroom with certain convictions, with a 
uh, a certain way of leaning into life and and with their own experience of the gospel their own need of the gospel and so it it just changes the way that you look at people it, it changes your expectations of people and it makes you hopefully just more gracious and uh, so much of education is uh, it's about the relationship uh, um, when Jim Hamilton gave the talk at the, the house retreat, he, he just talked about the main component of mentoring and how that was so much of a part of a classical education. And it's just, education is about relationships. It's about, it's just not the transfer of information, but it really is uh, that person mentoring and loving another human being and caring deeply about their formation. And so when that is going on in a, in a person, and they're they're growing in their faith. They're they're seeking the Lord, and it's it's just going to give them a different way of viewing another human being. Yeah, I would just add on to that, Russ. That I love the way in which our teachers at Cambridge excite our students for the things that they're learning, and I think that's a, that's one of the primary goals of education is to get our students falling in love with the things that are before them. This this feast of amazing ideas and uh, people and places of the past, and I think especially in a culture where people believe Christians to be against culture and cultural artifacts. It's especially important that we have Christian models showing what does it look like to show enthusiasm and zeal for the culture around us, the inherited culture, whether that is through books or literature or um, whether that is through literature or great speeches from the past, uh, music or theology. Yeah, I love that, right? I mean, so many of our students, to, to, to make the, to add on to that practical turn, so many of our students wonder, you know, how would a, a Christian read this book, you know, or uh, how does a Christian, uh, you know, approach a craft? Um, how would they teach? You know, we've got students who want to be teachers. Um, are Christians allowed to have these like other hobbies and things, you know, and, and yeah, as you say, we do this day in and day out. If you want to know how uh, a Christian would read through William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury, uh, then show up to American literature class on Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays and I've got you, you know, um, we're, we're putting this on display. If you want to know how a Christian would build the table, then go over to, you know, Doug Jones's garage and uh, take a look at him building the table. Yeah, don't awesome. come to my garage. <laughs> no, yeah. No, yeah. How to destroy a table. <laughs> Um, yeah, house. so I, I think that I think that that um, that modeling of just what does it look like to exist in this uh, common space as as a believer is is really important, and I think too it gives comfort to the parents that they're you know handing their children over for mm -hmm. uh, between the hours of seven thirty and three o'clock every weekday, and to know that they're in hands that you know, care for their kids and mm. have these convictions and um, have made this strong profession. I, I think it's really important. Do you guys feel like, since I'm not the teacher and you all are teachers, do you feel like that that um, being a Christian teacher uh, shows up more uh, during class and as part of your curriculum of whatever else you're teaching, whether it's literature, whatever, um, or does that show up after class or in between classes when you're talking to the kids and 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 how does that happen i guess so that other aspect of it's not curricular it's 
passing them in the hallways or it's coaching basketball or whatever. Yeah, well, I think one of the messages I, I want to send, and I, I mean, again, I just interrupt me here, guys, but one of the messages I want to send is like, you don't turn it off, right? So th- that's kind of the point is mm-hmm. that I think that we can send the message in other contexts that, okay, well, so I'm a Christian while I'm teaching systematic theology and I'm a Christian on Sunday mornings, uh, but then when I'm coaching basketball, you know, it's a different me. And that's not the case. I mean, part of understanding, mm. right, Christian. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> part of understanding Christian as a noun is that this is this is my identity and I can't lose that. Um, right. And uh, so it's not uh, right. And so this is this noun versus adjective thing that I, I, I think is really important in this particular conversation. I'm not doing Christian basketball. I'm coaching basketball as a Christian person. Exactly. Um, and so I, I want students to realize that that's what the Christian life is about, is participating broadly in all of these various cultural Mm -hmm. experiences um, in the way that we're doing it. And of course, you know, we're constantly putting on display terrible ways to do these things. And (laughs) and that's an even, that's that's another sweet moment, right? right? Where we can, you know, ask for forgiveness and recognize that that we don't have it figured out. Uh, We know they don't figure it out. Uh, don't they don't have it figured out so uh again i think it it creates a lot of sweet opportunities yeah to that point uh, maybe think about it not necessarily from the student perspective but from the teacher's perspective my view of it that i've experienced is that it provides so much freedom to be and exist on campus because i'm just being me and that's a wonderful thing uh for most of the time or some of the time um, for the students at least but there's a there's an immense freedom that comes with knowing um that i don't have to get up in front of a class and perform um that i can get up and i can make mistakes and i can ask for forgiveness um and then that that's going to carry out into the hallways and in locker mm-hmm. conversations and um and so i love that so I feel like we're touching on this already, but um, I think the second point is kind of implicit. And, and Russ, you started to touch on this, but um, I think the other part of this that I think about pretty frequently is our realistic anthropology, mm-hmm. that we have this biblically informed anthropology, that we are uh, we are dignified in as much as we are image bearers, um, you know, bought with a price mm-hmm. and living this side of glory. But we are also broken, uh, living on this side of the fall and uh, in constant need of, of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's not just us, but it's the image bearers who sit in the seats of our classrooms every day. Um, and, and Russ, you started to speak to this, but yeah, can you guys uh, kind of expound upon this and what this, how this affects kind of your day in and day out uh, journey here at Cambridge? Yeah, I, I just think about even the age of the students in upper school uh, as they're beginning coming into those those weird and wonky middle school years, I mean, w- we all are seeking to root our identity in Christ, but the 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 reality is we wander outside those bounds and and try to to oftentimes find it in other things. And I just I remember this one experience I had. We uh, every year about mid year we have these pizza lunches for each of the the different grades, and an eighth grade student one year just. We we asked them we asked them questions like what are you wrestling with what are you excited about here and and one of the students just said you know I wrestle every day with trying to find my identity in my performance in my grades and then they said this that was said, an eighth grader that was an eighth grader wow. and and uh, and then they said this but I am so thankful that I am surrounded by teachers 
who who tell me and remind me that it's not about my performance and who who enter into my life in that way and i think you know it's that's part of that brokenness it's part of that that brokenness that we we look to other things other than christ for our our core identity and uh, and it's just going to show up everywhere. It's the student that is so fearful and, and lacks courage to communicate something in mm-hmm. a classroom just because of, you know, they're, they're struggling with, you know, with longing for the approval of others, which is not a bad thing. But when we make it an ultimate thing, it's, but it's finding that student after class when they've made a comment and, and, and speaking into their life. But understanding that that's, that's another area of just brokenness and and so uh, we should just expect that. And we should expect it in ways that, uh, that are just bigger than students not speaking up in class and just trying to sometimes mm-hmm. find their identity. I mean, they're going to they're gonna make some bigger mistakes. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and when they make bigger mistakes, to be able to be there and to not have this like shocked look on your face mm-hmm. and to be able to enter, and sit, enter in and, and, and to, to deal with whatever issue has arised and to deal with it you know, with integrity, but also to part of that is just to deal with it with grace. Yeah. The charity of not being surprised by sin mm-hmm. yeah. is just a really profound and I think powerful awesome. uh, reality here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I've just, I've seen a number of students come into my office after a particular bigger issue that's, that's come up. And I, I think their expectations were very different than what transpired in the office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and, and it's because of this very thing that we're talking about, that we understand that people are broken. And I think, I think what happens when you understand that is it creates the, the kind of a, a just fertile soil to actually really grow right. uh, and, and flourish. Because if, you've got a, if, you've got a, if you don't have that, the, the, the flip side to that is you've got to wear a mask. You've got to come and you've got to function a certain way and you can't you can't just live authentically and it calls you out and um, and so I just um, I'm very grateful that um, for the teachers and staff that we have here because I think we don't do it perfectly but I think we all understand some of our own brokenness and and because of that when you understand your own brokenness you know your de- own desperate need for Christ and his redemptive work on your behalf and it just it changes the way you you approach other people who are who are living out of their brokenness and, mm-hmm. and foolishness at times. Yeah, maybe I would just add to that. You know, Christian education gets a bad rap oftentimes for having Christians uh, Christian students live in a bu- bubble that they're not really living. Christian students living in a bubble that they're not living in the real world. And in one sense, by training them what it looks like, training them in what it looks like to live in a Christian community where people make mistakes and some of those failures are expected. In some sense, we're training them more to live in a world and in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, because what are you going to experience more in life than than uh, brokenness in relationships and and, mm-hmm. and, and actually... Uh, failing people that you care deeply about or 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 learning how to love people that maybe you don't care deeply about and mm-hmm. and and what does that look like and i think that's just one of the great advantages that we have where we know our students mm-hmm. and uh i just remember some of the some of the most profound times i've had here is with middle school boys uh, who aren't getting along with each other who are treating each other fairly poorly <laughs> and and yet yet longing Hmm. to be connected to one another 
and actually uh, seeking that out. And how how do we how do we do this? How do we do relationships in such a way where we don't keep hurting and offending each other? And beginning to learn those habits now, right? Uh, that that just are going to carry them for a lifetime uh, if they can really get, become habituated and just understanding grace, extending it to others. And just having some real tools for how to navigate brokenness in relationships and, and how do you approach somebody? How do you ask forgiveness? How do you grant forgiveness? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How do you move on when somebody's really offended you when you're going to continue to live with them like we do in the school community? Mm-hmm. As you're all talking and I'm just thinking, you're calling to be a teacher so far and above information transfer from one person to the next as a as a christian teacher uh the responsibility is great and so thank you thank you all that's it's awesome yeah that's great so the third principle as i think through this and i think it's again it's related it, it flows naturally out of our anthropology is a kind of epistemic and intellectual humility um and i kind of root this in the creator creature distinction you know that we are broken, that we have these noetic effects of the fall that uh, that affect our ability to know things, right? And that whatever we know best uh, is still just a creaturely version of a thing. We don't know things the way that God knows them as he is uh, qualitatively and quantitatively distinct from us. Um, and that's a pretty big deal considering we're in an institution where knowing matters. Mm. <laughs> Um, and so as we embark upon the learning endeavor, uh, it seems like it's a pretty unique orientation uh, toward that toward that endeavor to say that we have to be humble. We don't we don't know it. We don't have it all figured out, which is not to say that we're not encouraged to go out and know more um, because uh, that's also rooted in our identity. That's that's rooted in our relationship to the created order and things. But um yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think of that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not that we 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 can't know things without conviction because uh, our students the things that they're learning, they they're moving more towards having holding those things with 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 a measured conviction, but it's a measured conviction that's hopefully marked by humility and I think that's modeled in our teachers as well and and the bottom line is is I think the the, the more you learn you know, it's the adage that the more you understand what you don't know. And and I think uh, the, the kids learn a lot here. And um, and so I just um, I, I think that that does it. It marks everything that we do. I see it. And it's and it's and it because it's also talked about. It's not just kind of it not just kind of implicit, but it's made explicit in the things that we say to to, to students that um how we approach others, how we hold the things that we hold, and and just seeking to 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 really the way we lean into relationships with others who who think differently than us, and so I think there's an there's an empathy that's born out of this uh, this particular conviction. Yeah, I I would want to ask DJ to maybe review some of the things that we were talking about earlier today in our humanities Mm. department discussion, because I think this plays into it, that when you have an epistemological humility, it often leads to an ability for the reader to see uh, the real complexities of a text and the ironies exist, and those lead to wonder. Um, And so I think saying 
hey, hey, this is who we are. We are humans. We are flawed. We don't know everything. We're going to have a finite understanding. Even just that disposition of saying, I don't know everything, that leads to an ability to know in a way that otherwise you wouldn't have. And uh, DJ, you say this far more eloquently than I do, but uh, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think you said it great. I, the article we were reading was talking about insight and understanding as these intellectual virtues and you know how to cultivate that in an educational environment. And the author was talking about insight as being this kind of sensitivity uh, to the kind of apparent contradictions or the uh, distinction that exists so often uh, between appearances versus realities. Um, and so that as we interact with something at the surface level, oftentimes, as this author put it, there is this deeper mystery that lies beneath it. And have we cultivated a sensitivity to be aware um, of those kind of fragmented, at times disordered um, elements of the world to be able to kind of see something more profound in the midst of that. And yeah, I, I think that that is true as we approach curricular matters. Um, but both of you have spoken to this, and, and Russ, we were just talking about the cultivation of empathy, but I, I think too the, that orientation of humility or this sensitivity for insight uh, I think it does affect our relationships with one another, right? That we're in this posture of epistemic humility. We're in this posture of epistemic humility. And then when we are interacting with our neighbor, with our peers, with our teachers, we can be much slower to make these surface level judgments. Hmm. You know, we can extend some charity and say, you know, there's probably a lot going on here that I just don't know. Um, and that can happen in our science textbooks. Mm -hmm. That can happen in the books that we read in literature. And it can happen in our conversations with a friend who's been a little bit quick with us um, mm -hmm. or is you know, not responding the way that we expected them to. Uh, to be able to kind of sit in that humble posture, uh, again, seems like a uniqueness that uh, can belong to an institution like this one. I mentioned this uh, in our last episode, but as I've been reading through the Reformers and, and particularly John Calvin, um, his, uh, as I've been reading through some of John Calvin's commentaries, one of the things that I have been reminded of again and again is how many times John Calvin stops and says, and this is all that scripture says on the matter. Let us be content with this. And I think, of course, that, uh, you know, John Calvin's re remarks are in regard to theology, but it also extends to the arena of general revelation that we have limits to our understanding of general revelation. And let us be content to explore more, but also content to say we don't know all that there is to know. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that comes to mind as I'm listening to both of you is that you know, we, we talk about a deep desire for our students to be lifelong learners. And it seems like to be a lifelong learner, you better have epistemic humility. Uh, because the, the, the reality is, is I think uh, it's a tendency for, for humanity to just calcify, I mean, to, intellectually. And to think that kind of we've arrived at the view, whether it's politically or, or in any area of life and religion or anything. And when you when you actually lean into the world this way, which I think is an appropriate way, because we are going to be lifelong learners if we're paying attention to who God has created us to be as image bearers and as fallen image bearers. And so I just think it leans into that, that value we have at the school, at the Cambridge School of, hey, this is the reality. 
Um, mm-hmm. And 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 if we have that humility, I think mm-hmm. we'll continue to continue to to take notes on the world around us and the people that we're in relationship with, and say I've I've always have something to learn. Mm-hmm. And I can still have, I can still hold things again with with conviction. But I wanna, I wanna, I wanna be open in appropriate ways. Uh, that I think is really flows out of this humility you're talking about. And to your point, Brent, I think it it also affects our relationship to knowing God, right? That um, we again we have the same posture, same sensitivity to to what we can know of Him. Um, that like the reformers, we don't try to peel back the mask of God, as Luther would say, that uh, we take the revelation as it is given to us. We use the metaphors that he's provided for us, the means that he has uh, provided, and we are content in that, knowing that it is, uh, you know, ultimately never enough, (laughs) you know, Uh, not until we see things clearly uh, in glory. But for now, it sustains us. Um, And how can we not be humble in in light of that. So gentlemen, how how have you seen this epistemological humility play out in class with your students? How do do they model, or how have you modeled that and how do they respond to it? Well, we talked about this a little bit in our meeting earlier, in the same meeting, right? That there is, we we do try to cultivate uh, an atmosphere of wonder and the kind of virtue of curiosity. And I think if you Assume that you can figure it all out. The knowing endeavor becomes imperialistic. Mm-hmm. It becomes uh, something to accomplish. Um, if you know that it's hard work and that you'll never know it all, it seems like the knowing endeavor shifts and you can now operate out of a, a genuine curiosity, especially in light of our anthropology, right? That we are, we have these rational capacities. We've got the faculty to know, just not know perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can be content in that. That shouldn't, that shouldn't defeat us uh, because we know it's a part of the reality. Um, that's an initial answer. Yeah. I don't know. What do, you, yeah. what do you think? I think that's good. I think some of it goes back to the who of education um, and, and the faculty who is modeling this kind of posture. Um, as we read any sort of literary work, as we look at a piece of art, as we look at the, the brilliance of a mathematic equation, I think that we've got faculty here at Cambridge who are truly in awe um, that there is an affective aspect to education. And we have faculty here here who are affected by what we see around us. Um, And I just don't think that you can be a student in a classroom where a teacher is in awe of what they're studying and not say there's humility that pairs right alongside that. Right. And how often have we around these tables with our students asked genuine questions that, mm-hmm. that we don't know the answers to? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Certainly. We can have taught the book, you know, year after year after year. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. We were just in a manuscript study of John Ford the other day, the story of the woman at the well. And there were no fewer than three comments that I, observations of the text that I had never thought of before mm-hmm. by 13 year olds. And I just sat there and said, that's incredible. <laughs> I have never thought about it. That's beautiful. And it made sense. And it was uh, it was winsomely communicated. And that was my comment. It mm-hmm. wasn't yes and or yes but or you missed this. It was just, wow, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. 
And we can say too, right? I'm going to do what I can to figure that out. Sure. <laughs> right. It's a great question. I'll see if I can find some answers to it. But I mean, so in other words, we can kind of model the humility. We can say that we don't know. We can say if it is the case that we that it's not a thing that anybody knows, which can also be the case here. Um, but we also want to model that other side of it, that you're, you know, you're hungry to find answers. Hmm. These kinds of things. What I'm picking up from this part of our conversation that I love is that the, the desire for curiosity and for real acquisition of knowledge and, uh, in, your, in your students and not just a regurgitation of information on a test, but that you are, are you, your desire is for them to really learn and be curious about these different subjects. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, the content's only going to stay with a student for so long, right? So mm-hmm. if it's about regurgitation, it's a futile endeavor. But if we can do something to shape affect, as you say, hmm. uh, to, to, to shape the disposition, to go back to an earlier used word, uh, of the student, of the learner, uh, that seems like a far greater task. Mm-hmm. And a, a, if I may, a, a Christian one. Right. You know? And in a lot of ways, I, I think this is the one that I get really excited about, uh, particularly in a... A literature classroom, um, but I think it affects everybody who teaches here. But uh, what I kind of call, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to take a better uh, term here, but uh, this resurrection bought freedom. Um, and I guess the way that I interact with this is that I think that the Christian school in a lot of ways is the freest of all educational institutions. Um, because we don't have to be scared of any ideas. Um, to put it um, simply, there's no idea that's going to be uh, brought up or any idea that we can interact with that's going to unseat Christ um, mm. from his throne. Um, and that is going to uh, nullify his promises to come again. Um, and because of that, there are a, the, a whole world of ideas that we can try on and test. Mm. Um, I, I was struck actually recently thinking about um, John's imperatives to his own students, if you will, um, where he says to test the spirits. And uh, obviously there's a particular context there and, and we could get into that, but there's some kind of a principle there that I, that I really like that, that we don't have to believe everything that we interact with. But we are free to interact with so much mm-hmm. uh, because our identity is not wrapped up in any given idea. Uh, to, to give an example, I recently talked to um, somebody in the community who taught at a university for a while. And she was saying that uh, it was uh, next to impossible to work in a university literature department and not be a Marxist. Mm. And it's because that is part of the identity. It's part of that culture there. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is Marxism is not going to unseat Christ. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so as we interact with, you know, Marxist literary interpretations and other things here, we can do so uh, knowing that we don't have to believe it. We don't have to become Marxist uh, and we can, you know, critically engage with these ideas. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're free to do so. Um, and that uh, seems to me such a compelling element of mm-hmm. Christian education that is that is uh, chiefly unique in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, Russ, I wonder if there's even some things or some some connections that we can make between uh, this resurrection bot freedom in uh, academia and what you're teaching in terms of cultural apologetics. It seems as if those would go hand in hand to be able to kind of pick up these cultural artifacts from around us and to deal with them thoughtfully. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, one of the quotes I'm thinking of is something that Francis Schaeffer said is that about that that Christianity isn't ultimately a philosophy, but it if it were, it would be the best philosophy out there. And and what he basically meant by that is it it can stand toe to toe with any idea that it faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may not know how uh, it, when we're confronted with an idea, how uh, all the times how Christianity or how the Christian worldview is superior to it, uh, or how it addresses it. If there's a new idea or something crossing. Uh, the horizon uh, of uh, of human history, but over time, we don't have to fear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the church has been confronted with things over centuries, uh, because of Christ's resurrection, because if 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 it's true, it's true, and even if we never figure out quite uh, the in the in the book of general revelation or an idea crosses us that we don't completely understand. Um, the bottom line is we can have confidence because of of what Christ has done. And uh, in, in the history of philosophy, we, we've seen and uh, just how there's been answers and good answers. And not everybody always believes those answers. And that's just the nature of living in a fallen, broken world. But um, uh, at the end of the day, we can play with a lot of ideas and and we can we can look at artifacts from culture like you like you say, and uh, we have a framework for which to understand them, and and that that's a, a really powerful thing. Um, so, yeah. Do you feel as though that there's an there's an opposite of freedom, bondage, or enslavement, or whatever, in other forms of of non-Christian education or secular education, um, that that they don't have the freedom that we do in a particular way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I would just, to, to answer that question, I would um, answer that with my own experience studying at UC Irvine, which I had a phenomenal experience there. There was so much that I, I learned, but I would just echo the sentiment that it is really hard to be in the English literary criticism acad- academy and not be a Marxist. I remember um, reading through uh, Faulkner and Fitzgerald class, and that was uh, not a lens to look at things through, but it was the lens. Hmm. Um, and so that really struck me here as I saw the difference between between the way literature is handled at Cambridge versus the way that it was handled at a you know high level academic uh, you know place that really we can uh, that really we can understand the text from these different angles. Yeah, and those different angles, right? That's what it's all about. Because ultimately, at, in that situation, you have this singular lens that is relatively constructed according to the identity, perspective, desires of the professor. And here, we can do that. We can take on that same lens. We can read the literature that they're reading. And then the next class period, we're going to pick up the feminist lens mm-hmm. and the next period, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah, so we're going right, to be able to, right. we're going to be able to see, well, do any of these lenses make sense? Um, do they, do they hold explanatory power? Yeah. And sometimes they do, yeah. but usually not 
one alone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how much better is it to be able to look at all of these uh, these these wonderful texts and literature through uh, as diverse of lenses as we possibly can, uh, knowing that our identity isn't in any of them, mm-hmm. and so we can uh, we can pay them the respect that they're due, um, mm-hmm. and then put them away until we need them again. So in in a sense, a Christian education opens up a whole new lens through which to view knowledge or, yeah, through which to to view knowledge that outside of a Christian environment, they don't have that lens to look at those things. Yeah, maybe you true? Think, yeah, maybe think of um, lenses as common grace's ability to understand and interpret the world it's just right. one one lens that common grace allows for mm-hmm. us to see the world through um and our understanding um of uh, the world around us this general revelation that we see around us is going to be flawed and there's gonna be you know there's gonna be holes in it uh, and yet it's still helpful right it's still it's revelatory even though it is not fully or completely revelatory in the way that god wouldn't understand it right and it gets back to the kind of humility, right? Because all of these lenses that belong to common grace are people's attempts mm-hmm. at trying to figure out the world. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I mean, we have some help in Scripture, um, but there are a lot of things. I mean, Scripture doesn't tell me how to interpret the sound of the fury. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. If only it did. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a code in that apocalyptic literature. I think so. It's in Revelation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read it once. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, so all that to say, right, that, you know, when we're left in the kind of these, as Brent's saying, these kind of common grace um, uh, gifts through these different perspectives, it's just left to wisdom and ability, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so we want to try to give our students as many opportunities to understand the world around them as we can and uh, always remind them that they're not holding on to any of these as ultimate. But I guess one of the things that these different lenses provide for us in my mind at least is that they provide us ways at seeing ways of seeing the brokenness in the world around us when we look at a marxist marxist perspective or we look at a feminist perspective we're able to see the bigotry and the hate and the classism that exists in our society and that really christ is the answer um but we can't understand that christ is the answer until we see the problems that are in many ways revealed by an understanding of these literary lenses. And so, I, man, I just really appreciate the work that's done um, in the literature classes that DJ and others here at Cambridge teach. Yeah, I think that's a great a great way to carry on that metaphor. It's as if like each lens has a crack in it. Yeah. Uh, but layered on top of, you know, one another, those cracks are all in different places mm-hmm. and things. And so you can kind of... Uh, you're going to see different things as you put each one on. But I, I like that that reorientation where you're also going to see uh, a big blemish um, mm-hmm. as you look out onto the world. There's this whole there's it's scarred yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, and so it both is positively revelatory, mm-hmm. uh, but it also is a reminder yeah. that we don't have it all figured out. And and I know a lot of those lenses too. Are, they're they're oftentimes born out of real brokenness and a real like so a point of pain, and so it's it they don't they don't view reality correctly, uh, but they're and and yet they they are marred. But I think about a feminist lens. I mean, what 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 is that created by? I mean, that is created by a lot of brokenness in the world. 
and and I th- and and whether it's a, a Marxist lens and. Um, so I don't only really think about it kind of like the where it ends up and how it's it's not going to help us to to really identify how the world really is, uh, but I also think about how it originates because oftentimes those those lenses that are created they're they're they're, they're something is wrong in the world that's causing that mm-hmm. that lens to be formed and cast in such a way, uh, and I, and I think to that end it does potentially reveal an aspect mm-hmm. of the world mm-hmm. realistically right, right. absolutely right. yeah uh, no I, absolutely uh and because i just think I, th- I think about some of the like even the the feminist lens i think about well yeah there's there's there was a real good reason why uh that lens arose because you know if we're all image bearers of god i mean there's there there's some real there there's just a real it was very disjointed um and so, to be able to 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 dive into those things, and again, we get it comes back to empathy. But it, you know, you don't want to. I, I think a lot of also Christian parents, uh, kind of some Christian parents could fear like, well, boy, if we if we really grab that lens and look at it, that we're going to be captivated by it and want to all of a sudden. And I, and I just think if if we really are trusting in this principle to this this resur- resurrection power and that gives us freedom. We we don't have to have to be fear based mm-hmm. in our curricular choices mm-hmm. uh, if we're if we're really living out of that uh, of that re- the reality mm-hmm. Christ is risen He's Lord He's mm-hmm. sovereign. All right, well, gentlemen, this was uh, another episode where I learned a lot and uh, I had a great time talking with you all. Brent Russ, thank you guys for being here. Absolutely, it's our pleasure. Wouldn't want to spend a Wednesday night anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, thank you. I have been DJ. And this is Jeff. See you next time. And I'm really serious about that. I don't want to go home. (laughs) Thanks for listening to An Examined Education. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, be sure to check out our website, schedule a tour, reach out to the advancement office. We'd love to see you. And we'd love to hear what you have to say about the podcast. So be sure to check us out on your favorite social media platform. Again, that's at An Examined Education. Leave us a comment, rate and review, and we'll see you next time.